Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome back. In this episode, I want to talk about something that's been coming across my uh, my feed, my radar, my, in, in my world, I guess. And that is, how do you know when to share your intention or an outcome that you want to create, your dreams and desires? How do you know it's safe to do so? Because most of us have experienced, you know, those times where we uh, are vulnerable and we share you know, something that we want, something that we intend to do, or something that we want to incorporate in our being. And perhaps we're shot down. Perhaps we're criticized. We're asked, who do you think you are to dream such a dream? Seriously, we know you're not capable of that. So in this episode, we're going to explore, we're going to go deeper in this conversation here on when is it safe to disclose an intention? When is it uh, safe to share a dream? And with whom do you share this information with? But before we dive deep into this conversation, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my customized, personalized hypnotic audios. Now, depending on when you listen to this episode, it may or may not be available. I've opened up, you know, two or three spots and I do so every now and then when I get excited about it Uh, because these are labor intensive. It requires me to interview you, uh, figure out what is the best approach, what's what works for you. It's not a one size fits all. And after the interview, I'll design a hypnotic audio that you can listen to again and again to reinforce any behavioral change, any aspect of your persona, your personality, your self-concept, and or unleash an entire new future for yourself all based on reprogramming the other-than-conscious mind. So as you think about this and it appeals to you, go ahead and go to yesdaniel.com and follow the link to get happily involved. So, okay, back to this conversation about sharing a dream, sharing your vision. When is it safe to do so? And do you want to be indiscriminate? Now, there's different ideas or different schools of thought on this. Uh, In one camp, you know, it's suggested that you do, you know, you tell people, you make it public, a public declaration of some intention, some grand dream. And uh, those people, your audience, will hold you accountable to that. For instance, I had a friend that declared he was writing a book. He had done so several years earlier. And uh, I just found out when I met him and I asked him, so tell me about your book. And he's like, oh, the dreaded book. And he recounted, probably for the upteenth time, just how often he started and then stopped and got delayed and sidetracked. And it's been this burden that he's carried on over his shoulders. He finally did publish his book, but I have a sneaking suspicion that he probably would have enjoyed the process a whole lot more had he never declared it to begin with, at least not publicly. In hindsight, I think it would have been better for him to announce the release of his book, you know, when it was three months out or six months out after he had already written the book or at least the rough draft of it and it was just going through the the fine editing stage from my perspective. That momentum and the groundwork behind it is all important, all important. 
But I think now is a good time to discuss perhaps why do we seek that outside validation? Why do we tell people what we're up to before we're fully convinced ourselves? I think it's because of that. Because we're not completely convinced ourselves, it occurs to us as a wild imagining. I wonder, what's the possibility if? And then we say it. We say it out loud. And the people that you know, love us will say, like, seriously? You want to do that? Like, look at what you've done. Look, look at your time management. Look at this. They have a perception of us that uh, kind of gets in the way of that possibility. And we're left thinking, why did I ever say anything? Because it's nothing but criticism and uh, negative thinking. Or as Zig Ziglar would say, stinking thinking. But we tell people because we want them to applaud our effort, applaud our intention, and tell us, I think you're amazing. You can go for it. Anything that you imagine, you can do. And what do we get? Seriously? You want to do that? Oh, I wish I could say that every intention that I've declared has met with resounding applause and admiration and encouragement, but it is far from the truth. It is few and far between the times when I've declared something bigger than myself that I have not met criticism, doubt, and scarcity thinking. I am totally invested in possibility that I think that you can do anything that you want to do. To quote Henry David Thoreau, the author, if you have built castles in the air, your work need not be lost. That is where they should be. Now put the foundations under them. You know, I, I wish I had read that a long time ago, earlier in my life, but I had to learn from trial and error, announcing and declaring an intention, things that I wanted to do only to meet with resistance. And I realized that I needed to hold these ideas, hold these intentions close to my vest, not tell anybody until I believed, until I was firmly grounded in the idea and the belief that, yes, I can and will do this. And in a moment, I want to share exactly how to build those foundations under that belief and strengthen the, your own conviction. But before I do, as it goes, anytime I have a, an idea for a podcast, the universe guides me to stories and other material to support the idea that I can include or at least expands my concept of what I want to get across. So I'm going to share a short story from Steve Harvey. Now, Steve Harvey is a, today a television personality, a comedian. Yet early in his life, he declared that he wanted to be on TV, and he met with some interesting resistance. But I'm going to let him tell you in his own words. I want to kill a big dream, tell it to a small-minded person. I told everybody at 10 years old I was going to be on TV. I had a little problem when I said that. I had a severe stuttering problem. I could not talk outside of my house. I went to school, church, anywhere. I locked up. I couldn't go to the store. I, I, I just stuttered profusely, man. It was a horrible experience for me. So when I wrote on that paper, the assignment was write on a piece of paper what you want to be when you grow up. I'm 10. I wrote, I want to be on TV. That was that faith, the belief in things that you cannot see. I ain't see no way I could be on TV, but I wrote it down. I didn't know no better. I just, I'm 10, I wrote it down. Teacher called me to the front of the class. 
I thought I'm going to get me a gold star because she had everybody stand and read their paper and their name. She called me to the front. I'm thinking, I'm going up here to get a gold star. I ain't never had one before. This must be, my answer must have been really good. I can't tell you how wrong I was. That lady didn't call me up there to give me no gold star. She called me up there to humiliate me. And when I got up there, that lady lit into me. She said, why would you write something like this on your paper? First of all, why you call me up here? You know I can't talk. You already know I can't talk. And she just said, why would you write something like this on your paper? And I'm standing out. I'm trying to get out. She said, who in this school ever been on TV? Who in your family ever been on TV? Who in this neighborhood ever been on TV? She said, look at you standing there. You can't even talk. How are they going to put somebody like you on TV? So every Christmas, I send her a flat screen TV. <laughs> I don't know if you know Steve Harvey. He's an American television personality. I know some of you from, are from around the world, different areas. Uh, but he's on the TV. He's on television every day of the week. But I have to tell you, this experience with his teacher could have ended it all. It could have stopped him from ever doing anything. But he built a foundation under his castle. How did he do that? Well, I'm going to have him share it again. uh, And he'll tell you how he developed the faith behind being on TV. My father came home. She said, Slick, which was my daddy's nickname. Your boy been up at the school being a smart aleck. Now, I already know I'm going to get a whipping for this. She said, uh, tell him what you wrote on your paper. And I said, I want to be on TV. And my father said, well, what's wrong with that? And she said, well, he being a smart aleck and putting something like that that's unbelievable on the paper. So my father said, Bill, how come the boy can't put on the paper he want to be on TV? So they were starting to get into an argument. So I got sent to my room, which I knew what that meant. That means go in your room, get ready. We're going to get this whooping, right? So I go in my room, and after having a discussion, my father came in the room. He said, all right, this is what I want you to do. What does she want you to put on your paper? I said, I don't know, Daddy, like a basketball player. What all the rest of the kids wrote? He said, well, put that on the paper. Take that to school tomorrow and give it to her. Take your paper and put it in your drawer. Every morning when you get up, read your paper. And every night before you go to bed, read your paper. That's your paper. What he told me was a principle of success, that if you write it down and envision it, anything you see in your mind, you can hold in your hand. He knew that. And so he gave that to me. After that, every year when the teacher was living, I used to send her a TV for Christmas because I wanted her to see me. She saw me one year. And she said, boy, you send me all these TVs from wherever you are, and you don't understand. I got too many TVs. I have to get these TVs away sometime. I know. It's all right, though. And I kept that paper. And that little boy with the stuttering problem is on TV seven days a week. (laughs) Yeah. I'm on TV. Now, one point I want to make is the fact that he did tell his teacher he was humiliated 
it actually unleashed in him the desire to prove her wrong, hence sending the TVs every year. But you have to say it would have never happened if it wasn't for his father to reinforce the vision, reinforce the idea that, yes, he could be on TV. He's been on television for over 20 years now, over 220 credits to his name. So the lesson here is to not share with other people until you're prepared to meet resistance, because there's going to be resistance. People interpret you based on their own limited perceptions, their own limited ideas about what's possible, what's possible for them, and uh, their assessment of you and your capabilities, which are not the truth. (laughs) People have their opinions about you, definitely. And I've had people, people that I love, hold opinions about me that have been way off, totally wrong, because they didn't, they could not see in my heart. They couldn't see the, the desire behind creating a life, creating circumstances that were not uh, evident, you know, potentially evident based on where I was at the time. See, it's, it doesn't matter how good you are today. What matters is how good do you want to be? So like when Steve Harvey read that statement, I'm, go- I'm going to be on TV, I want to be on TV every day, that fueled the fire, that built the faith. It's having that vision and holding the vision of the possibility in your mind, regardless of what people are saying outside of you. And sometimes you can feed them, if, you, if they want to know something, you can feed them a palatable lie. You do not have to reveal your cards until you're ready. Now, I'm going to go more in-depth in ways you can build that belief, build that structure, that foundation below you, below your dreams. But before I do, I want to share another story of a friend of mine, Dawn Cook. She's a client and a friend. She just recently wrote a book called The Aviatrix Mindset. Now, uh, (laughs) yeah, Um, I consider myself a wordsmith, and I had no idea what aviatrix meant. I had to look it up. An aviatrix is a female pilot. See, Dawn is a professional pilot, and there's a particular mindset that she's adopted along the way to be a successful pilot. But her story began back in high school, and uh, the physics teacher I don't know what the assignment was. It was just kind of thrown out there. Like, what do you want to be someday? And uh, she replied, an airline pilot. And the physics teacher kind of laughed and said, given who you are, that's quite unlikely. Now, I have no idea what criteria he was using to make that statement or qualify that statement. But when Dawn was recounting it to me, she figured it was because, one, she was female and she wanted to pursue a career in a heavily male-dominated industry, and the fact that she was not that good of a physics student. Terrible, in fact. And so, you know, avionics relies on physics. And again, from the teacher's perspective, it was unlikely that Dawn would ever fulfill on her dream. Well, just like Steve Harvey had his father, Dawn had her mother. She recounted the story to her mother, and her mother said, we need to get you on a discovery flight. You see, Dawn's mother was a flight attendant. She had a career in the airline industry, and Dawn had spent many a time on an airplane riding with her mom. But her mom suggested that she not be a flight attendant, that she aim for the front of the bus, the front of the plane. 
Let's get you on a discovery flight. Let's get you on a plane and see if you even like it. So they set out to find a female flight instructor and Dawn went up with her in a small plane. And while they were up there, the instructor released the controls and allowed Dawn to fly the plane on her own. And she said that she loved it. She loved it. And so that reference experience of having that flight and having the controls in her hands, that was the fuel, that was the foundation underneath that belief. And then if you know anything about Dawn, if you tell her no, she wants to prove you wrong. And so when that physics teacher told her that I know it's unlikely, given who you are, she set out to prove him wrong. And so she has. She's been a professional pilot for over 20 years. She's a coach, a motivational speaker, now an author. The Aviatrix Mindset. I'll, I'll put a link down in the show notes if you want to check out her book. And uh, frankly, if you're a woman setting out to do big things where other people are telling you it's not a good idea, you know, why don't you go into the kitchen or something like that, uh, read her book. She is an excellent voice to help guide you along. So back to building foundations under your castles. Dawn had that discovery flight, that experience of having the controls and flying all by herself. Steve Harvey had that statement that he read again and again and again to fuel the faith, fuel the belief that, yes, it is possible. It's a sensory experience. The more senses that you can pull into it, visually, auditorily, kinesthetically, sensation. Kinesthetic is sensation. Having the feeling of it, the touch of it, the taste of it. So what that means is if you want a new car, Go to the dealership. Go sit in a car. Test drive it. Make sure you really want it. Get in touch with how does it feel to be behind the wheel. When I was in my early 20s, I drove down with a friend of mine to the Rolls-Royce dealer in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. And uh, I sat in it. They wouldn't let me drive it, but uh, they let me sit in it in the showroom. And uh, frankly, I realized I didn't want it. I didn't like the way it felt. And you see, that was valuable information. I could cross that desire, cross that off my list and not spend mental energy on projecting or intending to get something I really didn't want. So lesson learned. But the whole idea is to put yourself in the experience. Smell the leather. Feel the leather. Is it something that you want surrounding you day in, day out? If you have the idea that you want to live in a particular style of house, Start going around to open houses of a similar design of what you want. Now, I used to think that I wanted a swimming pool. Now I have a swimming pool, and it's a lot of work. (laughs) It's a lot of upkeep. But the kids love it. There's a lot of upside to having a pool. But it's not as uh, posh and, and luxurious as I thought it was. But what that has taught me is when I have an intention, when I want something, I'll go investigate what's the ins and out of it, what's the pros, what's the cons, so I have a complete picture. And the more real I can make it in my mind's eye, the more real it is for me to manifest, the easier it is to manifest. The other thing that you can do is seek out an expert, seek out different industries. If you think you want a job in a particular field, go visit a business in your hometown. If there's any possibility of competition, go to a neighboring town. 
Go to a neighbor if you want to start a business. Go to a neighboring town and interview some people that are in business in the industry that you want to go into. So you have the ins and outs of it. The more that you can alleviate any fear around that, the stronger the confidence, the way we build a belief. You see, a belief is just a hypothesis. It's just an idea when it starts out. And as I've said before, there is no such thing as a belief. It is a concept of mind, an idea. You can't point to it. You can't pull it around a wagon. You can't hang it on the wall. A belief is an idea. And the strength of that idea is the amount of evidence that you've gathered to support that idea, the validity of that idea. And so those reference experiences go a long ways to building that belief and strengthening that belief. And again, this can all be before you tell, you know, the neighborhood or tell your loved ones or tell the world. It's doing your due diligence. Now, this brings me to the story of Kevin. He's a former co-worker of mine when I was uh, working at JCPenney back in, oh, geez, I was, again, I was in my 20s back in the 80s. And Kevin was a security guard. And sometimes it was slow in the store. And as there were securities wandering around looking for shoplifters, we'd strike up a conversation. And uh, he would constantly tell me that what he really wanted to do was to be a policeman. He had applied to the Flint Police Academy. And frankly, there was a, a lot of people applying. And he got put down to the bottom of the list. But he had said that it was a dream of his for years. It was something that he thought about all the time. And now, even in my 20s, I was couched in this whole idea of stepping into the experience. Uh, I was an assistant merchandiser for the sporting goods department, and there we were standing next to the gun case. And I asked him, has he ever shot a gun? Do you own a handgun? And he said, no. I said, well, if you want to be a policeman, maybe you should think about getting a handgun and taking shooting lessons. He stood there for a moment, just looking at me kind of blankly. And then suddenly there was this like, aha, cascade effect that happened all over his body. Like I touched his head with a magic wand. And he said, yes, you're absolutely right. I'll do it. Now at Penny's, we did not handle handguns. We just handled uh, rifles, shotguns for hunting. So he ended up going out and buying a handgun. And get this, he took lessons from an active duty police officer who was a shooting instructor on the side. And they would talk about on-the-job experiences, and he learned a lot. But what's interesting is the week after he began his shooting lessons, and I remember this so vividly because he related it to me, they had been tracking this young kid through the store, the, the security team, and they can't approach anyone until they actually leave the store with merchandise, and they can catch them. So they were prepared to corner this kid as he left the store, and the kid bolted. And uh, Kevin, not his real name, in fact, I can't remember his real name, it's been 40 years, but he started running after this kid across the parking lot. And he said the kid flew, ran like the wind. And it was after short order, he realized he was grossly out of shape. There was no way he could have stepped into the police academy in the shape that he was in. So he began dieting, you know, changing his nutrition, and he began running. And every step he took, he knew that he was preparing to be a police officer. You know, it was only three months after that conversation in front of the gun cabinet that he became accepted to the police academy. So while that story about Kevin doesn't necessarily apply to, you know, knowing when to tell someone about your grand intention, 
It was about preparing to step into your intention, to step into your outcome, to fulfill on it, to act as if that it was just a matter of time until it was reality, until it was realized. But in that process, in that day-to-day process, you are taking the steps, you're studying, you're asking questions, you're in the investigation of fulfilling on this intention. It's not out off in the distance. You are actually engaged in the process of fulfilling on it. So here's the process if you have a grand intention, a grand outcome that you want to achieve, a vision for your life that doesn't necessarily look logical from where you currently are. You build your castle, you build your vision and set it in the sky. Then you build the foundation. You ask the questions, you get the skills, you have some experiences to to flesh out that vision, to make it more real, more tangible to you. And then you build a staircase from your foundation up to the castle. See the steps. Is it believable to you? Are you willing to take the steps? Are you willing to do what's necessary? Although you may very likely never have to take all the steps necessary to fulfill on it, you have to be willing to be able to take all the steps. Because if there is a step in that, a step in that process of realizing your outcome, realizing your intention, and you don't really want to do that step, that step is going to be the thing that stops you. The other thing that happens is when you build the steps or can visualize the steps between here and there, it becomes more real. It feels doable to you. It just seems like a matter of course, a matter of time. And then you can stand the rejection if you throw it out there to someone else, even people you love, and they say, who do you think you are? Like, what gives you the idea that you can do that? It's in that moment that the belief that you fostered, the belief that you built, that you've gathered evidence for to support, it's then that you can just brush off their rejection, brush off their criticism, brush off their doubt, and say with confidence, I know it looks unlikely, but I'm committed and I'm going to do whatever it takes to fulfill on it. It is that stand, that conviction that you have for your dream, for your vision, that will diminish and brush away all doubt, all criticism. Because it is inevitable that there'll be trolls, that there'll be jealousy, that there'll be people that will just tell you that you can't do it, that you shouldn't do it, that who who the hell do you think you are to take this on? But remember, it's not about you. It's about them. It's their perceptions. It's their belief about what's possible. And they have interpreted you in a particular way. It's not the truth. You know that for every person in your life, let's say you have 20 people in your immediate family, your immediate, there's 20 different perspectives on who you are. There's 20 different perspectives on what you're capable of. And none of them probably match what you think you're capable of. And remember, these perspectives that they have, those are just opinions. And opinions are like belly buttons. Everybody's got one. And no two are exactly alike. Well, I have to be honest, I've not inspected that many belly buttons. So I'm just guessing that no two belly buttons are alike. At least not exactly alike. And before I bring this to a close, I just want to visit Kevin one more time. You see, when he stepped into taking on shooting lessons and he started running, he was stepping into the persona of being a police officer. And then it was that energy of him stepping into that persona, stepping into that way of being. He walked differently. 
I remember his superior telling him that he had to he had to knock it down a notch because his persona was becoming so much bigger. He was walking through the store as if he was a police officer. Now, when you're undercover security, that's a bad way to be. You have to be able to blend in. You have to be basically unnoticeable. And so what happened is that he actually had to take on a more demure uh, persona when he was doing his job while he was still undercover in order to fit in. So this went a little longer than I anticipated, but I think there's some really good examples here. So really quickly, build that grand vision, adopt that grand vision, own that vision, and then build the foundation under it. Build the staircase. Are the steps you're willing to take? And act as if you own the castle. Adopt the emotional, mental, and physical persona of the dream already realized. It is then after you build that momentum that you can weather any storm, take on any criticism, and it not diminish your enthusiasm for your vision. You see, early on, when you have the doubts and other people express doubts, it confirms your own inner fear. And that does not fuel your dreams. And I realize withholding your vision from those people that you love and love you might seem like you're hiding an aspect of yourself. And it will be that way if you don't build that foundation, if you don't build or flesh out your vision. You want to get it to a point where you can tell people what you want to create, enroll them in the dream with the confidence and conviction that you created, that you developed through your investigation. Okay, that's it for this one. By all means, check out Dawn's book, The Aviatrix Mindset. She is a total rock star. I think you will totally dig it. And check out my link page at yesdaniel.com for my offerings. This is Daniel Danovi urging you to follow your bliss, live your life from inner signals, and live the epic life.